0: You know, as, uh, as a pastor, I think those simple words of, of let me hide myself in thee uh, are really the words that, that I hope will be on uh, all of your mouths uh, each and every day. Uh, uh, on the day that, that you depart and, and rest with Christ, I, I pray that that is the confession on your lips. Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. And I think those words fit rather beautifully uh, with where we come to in our our series on Romans this week, as we enter into chapter three of Paul's letter to the Romans, and and we'll kind of be skipping around to to different parts uh, in the book of Romans throughout this series. Um, And last week Pastor Brad uh, was here, uh, and this week he's he's away. We're just kind of trading trading spots on vacation right now, I guess. and, uh, and, and he led us through kind of the first, uh, first section of that. And as many of you know, last week I was uh, away in Milwaukee uh, for Vanessa's twin sister's wedding. Um, and, and we had a wonderful time with, with family, and it was a, a joyful celebration. Uh, we really enjoyed ourselves. There's photographic evidence that, that your pastor, man, he can dance. Let me tell you something. Um, I just look at my wife's face, and she's like, just stop. Uh, but as, as enjoyable as, as it was, I think one of the most memorable moments from from our trip back uh, actually came on, a, on an evening uh, where I was riding a, in an Uber uh, from downtown Milwaukee back to my in-law's place in the suburbs and uh, and had had just a really intriguing conversation uh, with my with my uber driver and uh, by the way if you're not if you don't know what Uber is, it's like it's like a taxi for young people, basically. <laughs> uh, actually, there, there's no age requirement. Um, anyway, so I'm talking with, with my Uber driver, and, and, and we actually bravely ventured into one of the forbidden topics of, that you're supposed to talk about with strangers. We, we got talking about religion. Um, and, and it was very civil. There was no violence or, or, or shouting or anything like that. Uh, but during our conversation, I, I actually revealed to him that that I was a pastor, uh, which may have been a mistake. I just imagine him thinking like, oh, I just signed up to make sure college kids don't drink and drive. I didn't want to talk about religion with a holy man. And and he shared with me as as I told him that I was a pastor uh, that that he was was an agnostic uh, that that he he thought that with with the so many claims of of religions uh, throughout the world and and throughout history. That, that to make this, this exclusive claim that, that one has it right just didn't seem to make sense to him. Uh, that, that it was far too, too unclear uh, to really believe that, that one religion could really have it all down. And, and as he told me that, you know, I, I admitted to him, I said, you know, you kind of have, have a point. I mean, a lot of people make, make claims to, to truth. A lot of people believe that that they understand uh, who the true God is and and how we come to know Him and and how we're supposed to live. And and it can be rather unclear. Things seem foggy at best. But I said, for me, the thing that it always comes back to is that when I look at the historical claims, the sound historical claims of the resurrection of Jesus, I, I just simply cannot get around them. And that I don't believe that, that we're just set to, to, to kind of feel it out on our own, but God actually sent us someone to make him known to us so that we might know him and, and come to him. And, and he, said, he said, you know, he said, I, I, I respect that, uh, but I just simply kind of doubt the claims that, that Jesus rose from the dead. And, and he said, you know, I, I really don't think that, that it's really worth my time. I really don't think it's my job uh, to try to worry too much uh, about uh, what God or what God is the right God, which religion is the right one. I, I just simply want to, to be kind and, and be a good person and, and treat others uh, with kindness and respect. And, and I, I said, you know, I, I, I really respect that. that that's, a, that's a noble cause, a noble way to live your life. But one of the things that is fundamental about, about Christianity and about my faith is is that I believe that ultimately when it comes down to it there is no good people. There, there is no one who does right as as we confess this morning. No one is righteous. Now I, I was maybe hoping for like this uh, axe moment with Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch that we would drive by some water and he would say why should I not be baptized. Uh, but that did not happen. Uh, He he dropped me off, and and I told him I I really enjoyed our conversation, and and he said the same, and uh, and we parted ways and and hopefully uh, planted some seeds for the gospel. But the reason I bring up this conversation is because as I look back, though I didn't necessarily think of it much so at the time, when I look back, I recognize that what our conversation really revolved around was one kind of central theme, and that is kind of the same theme that our reading from Romans this morning centers around. It is this theme of righteousness. Now, righteousness throughout the, the New Testament really comes from kind of courtroom language. It's language that, that Paul borrows from, from the judicial system. So, so to be righteous is to be declared innocent, it is to be declared in right standing with society. And as Paul borrows this language, he begins to apply it. What does it mean to be pronounced righteous, innocent, in right standing or right relationship with God who created all things? And this becomes a rather important topic throughout the scriptures. It is what does it mean to be righteous? How can we be called righteous? And and one thing that I've come to believe is that this is not just an important topic for Christians or for religious people. uh, But I believe that everyone in some form or another is searching for righteousness. Every single person, religious or non-religious. Whatever creed you confess or, or if you confess no creed at all. Everyone is searching for righteousness. Because I also believe that everyone in some form or another has a God. If you look at Martin Luther's explanation to the first commandment that you shall have no other gods, his explanation in the large catechism as he defines what it means to have a God, he says it is that thing on which your heart truly relies and depends So, if your heart relies and depends upon and and puts your trust in money, money is your God. If your heart relies and and depends upon sort of earthly powers and political authority, then politics and, and earthly rule is kind of your God. And if you have a God, you will want to be righteous in that God's sight. So, if money, for example, if money and things, if that's your God... To be righteous in the sight of that God is is to have a lot of it, very simply. So everyone, no matter what, because everyone has something that they put their trust in, everyone is searching for righteousness of some kind or another. So the question for us is, is not whether or not we are actually concerned with righteousness, but it's actually just simply a question of, in whose sight or in what, in the sight of what do I want to be called righteous? And so the question for Paul in Romans chapter 3 is quite simply, how can we be called righteous in God's sight? Is it by adherence to, to the laws and the commands of the Torah, or is it through something else? And, and so Paul begins chapter 3, with, with this lengthy discussion of, of what it means to be called righteous. And, and by talking about the simple fact that if righteousness comes according to following the commands and the rules throughout the scriptures, no one will be called righteous. If that's what it comes through, no one will be called righteous in the sight of God. And so he picks up then in verse 21, and he says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Paul says, Plainly and simply, if righteousness is according to what you do, everyone falls short. the The playing field is completely leveled here it, it is not a matter of, of how religious you are it 's not a matter of how good you are or how holy you are. It, it is not a matter of how generous you are or, or how many Sundays of the month you 've been in worship. When it comes to righteousness in the sight of God, if it's according to what you do, everyone, everyone is counted as unrighteous. No one would have a right standing before God if it's according to what you do. But he says, now a righteousness has been made known apart from the law. Apart from the words of the Torah, apart from the words of the prophets, the Torah and the prophets, they bear witness to this righteousness. They point us to this righteousness, but they cannot accomplish this righteousness. That righteousness comes only through Jesus. Only through faith in Jesus because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But verse 24, are justified by His grace as a The way that we can be called righteous in the sight of God, the way that we can have a right relationship, be in right standing with him, is only through Jesus. Only through Jesus, plainly and simply. Righteousness in the sight of God is not something you can attain for yourself. Righteousness in the sight of God is not something you are ever meant to attain for yourself. Righteousness in the sight of God comes solely as a gift. It comes when he calls you righteous. And in his son Jesus, he does just that. Here in verse 25, we, we come across this word that is probably not in our regular vocabulary. This word, propitiation. You probably don't use that in everyday conversation. But what this word is, it actually has, has roots in, in the Old Testament. In, in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament scriptures originally written in Hebrew. This word that is propitiation here in your English Bible is the word that is used to translate the mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant. So throughout the Greek Old Testament, you see this word propitiation coming up again and again and again, referring to this place that God had promised Israel that he would come and dwell with them, not according to his harshness, but according to his mercy. Right? The mercy seat was the place where the priests would enter in before the Ark of the Covenant and they would sprinkle the blood of the sacrifices there on the mercy seat. there on the propitiation place. And God promised that when they did that, he would deal with his people with kindness, with forgiveness, and with grace. And so as Paul picks up this word, what he is saying is really answering the question, where does God promise to come and treat you? Not according to what you've done. Where does God promise to come and treat you? Not with harshness or judgment, but with kindness with mercy, with love, and grace. Jesus. Jesus is that place. The blood that He has shed on the cross is that perfect sacrifice. It's because of Jesus that God deals with us kindly. It's because of Jesus that we have the promise of forgiveness and grace. If we try to make the place that God deals with us in what we do we will receive harshness, we will receive judgment. But if we make the place that God deals with us, Jesus, if we put our trust and our faith there, we're promised forgiveness. We're promised new life, we're promised mercy and grace. And God did this all to show His righteousness so that He would remain just, And the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus so that he would be just and true and right and holy and good as he says he is, but also kind. Jesus is the place where God's wrath and God's mercy meet in one. His wrath is poured out out on Jesus so that it wouldn't be poured out on you and I. And because this all comes as a gift, Paul says, there should be no cause No cause for boasting, no cause for arrogance or pride in the church. Verse 27, what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one. Who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith? Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. No, on the contrary, we uphold the law. Paul says here, there should be no cause for arrogance, no cause for boasting. You didn't do anything. You didn't earn this righteousness. It all came by grace. It all came as a gift. Therefore, there is no cause for boasting. Just as both Jew and Gentile in Paul's day were both justified, declared righteous through Jesus, so it is the same today. If you've grown up in the church, hardly ever missed a Sunday, paid all your tithes, done all of those good and righteous things, and, and lived a life that, that is good, that's great. But your righteousness in the sight of God doesn't come by that. It comes through Jesus. To the person who comes to faith later in life, faith is what makes us righteous. That righteousness still comes through Jesus. To the person who confesses Jesus as Lord on their deathbed, righteousness still comes only through Jesus. Because there is no distinction. The only way to discover righteousness is through Jesus. And to anyone who would say that this then renders the law of God worthless or meaningless, Paul says, no, 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 we uphold the law. To truly uphold the law is to acknowledge my inability to keep it well enough, to keep it good enough and perfect enough to please God with my works. No, to uphold the law is to recognize that only Jesus can fulfill it for me. You see, when it really comes down to it, Paul essentially just gives us two places to find righteousness. And one, he says, is a wasted effort. You can go through life trying to find your righteousness according to what you do. Or you can seek the righteousness that comes through Jesus. And if you keep... Seeking righteousness according to what you do. Trying to please God with your actions. It will never be enough. This is what Martin Luther says in in his Heidelberg theses. He says, the law of God always says do this. But it's never done. It's never enough. If your righteousness is according to what you do, you'll never do enough. And I don't think this is just true for us in the church. It's true no matter where we try to find our righteousness. Uh, One of of my favorite authors uh, is a man by the name of of David Foster Wallace. He's he's an American novelist uh, and and died uh, in the early 2000s. And, And in a keynote address that he gave at a university, he very rarely spoke publicly, but in a keynote address that he gave at a university, Uh, I think he just paints it perfectly. And and I may have used this in in a sermon before, I don't know. Uh, But but I feel like this just is so fitting for the way that Paul talks about trying to find righteousness according to what you do. He said this, said in the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there's actually no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everyone worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship, be it JC or Allah, be it Yahweh or the Wiccan Mother Goddess or the Four Noble Truths or some inviolable set of ethical principles, is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they're where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough, never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. If we try to find our righteousness according to what we do, no matter what it is, no matter how we try to go about it, no matter where we try to seek it, if you try to find righteousness according to any kind of work, it will never be enough. It will be an exhausting, wasted, lifelong effort that will get you nowhere. Ultimately, what we need is someone who will be righteous for us. As, as I was studying this text, uh, one of the commentaries that I was reading, uh, it, it put forward this parable. It's a parable of, of a king. And this king was, was an incredibly strong and, and powerful and noble king. He was good-looking, handsome. He had all of those good, kingly features you would want in any good king. And not only was he a great and powerful king, he, he was a kind and, and a just king. His, his people loved him. And he loved his people. And because of this relationship that he had with the people he ruled over, there was never any crime in the land. Until all of a sudden, one day, seemingly out of nowhere, there was a thief loose in the land, just kind of wreaking havoc, and, and all sorts of theft were being reported. And so, as good and, and kind as the king was, he, he recognized that, that he really had to put in place some sort of law, some sort of punishment to deal with this thief. Because if he didn't, then there would just be complete chaos. And so he, he made a decree that, that when this thief was caught, that the thief would receive 20 lashes. And he had hoped that this would just kind of put an end to everything, but it actually didn't. Things actually grew worse. And, and so as the things grew worse, he, he made the punishment more severe. He he decreed that that it would now be 40 lashes for this thief. And expecting it to stop, still it didn't. And so the king, he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make it 60 lashes. No one in their right mind would continue to steal knowing that's the punishment. No one in the entire kingdom, other than the king himself, would even be able to survive such a harsh punishment. And and a few days went by, the thefts continued, but finally the thief was caught. And the thief turned out to be the king's mother. Now this, as you might expect, put the king in a rather precarious position. I mean, he loved his mother dearly. I mean, this was the woman who bore him, the woman who raised him, the woman who, who made him much of the man that he was that very day. But he also recognized that, that he couldn't just pass over this wrongdoing. But he was also faced with this other conundrum. On the one hand, justice need to be served. And if it wasn't, people would get this sense that, that crime could be committed with, without any threat of punishment, without any, any consequences. But on the flip side, how would the people perceive a king who, who would deal so harshly with his own mother? I mean, certainly that would be met only with resentment and hatred. And, and so days went by and... Sleepless nights went by until finally the, the day came and, and the king decided. He said, you know what? I, I recognize the difficulty of the situation, but justice has to be served. And, and so there he, he brought his mother forward to the person who is to carry out the punishments. And, and the woman who, who had carried him in his arms stood there with her back bared, waiting to receive these 60 lashes that would almost certainly bring her to death. And as the person carrying out the sentence raised his arm, the king shouted, stop. And he walked over and and he hugged his mother and, and he kissed her on the cheek. And he took off his robe and he bore his own back and said, carry out the sentence. Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Hide yourself in the righteousness that has been made known apart from the law. Hide yourself in the place that God has shown himself. Not as judgmental, not as harsh, but as kind and merciful and loving. Hide yourself in the righteousness that destroys all boasting, all pride, all arrogance. In the righteousness that, that destroys all despair and exhaustion. Hide yourself in Jesus. And let him be your righteousness. Amen.